It's an honor for me to introduce Neil. I consider him a friend. I consider him one of the greatest Bible teachers that I have known, one of the wisest and most restrained men that I know. <laughs> and so we welcome him, and if I could just pray with him before we start. Father, thank you for Neil. Thank you for the impartation that you have given him in both his mind and his spirit. I pray that as he ministers this morning, that your word, Father, would go out sharp like a two-edged sword to encourage your church this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Debbie. No pressure. Years Neil would have been fine. So, It's uh, good to be with you this morning, and it's been an amazing time of worship. We are using this morning to introduce our term theme. As you know, we often work with themes as the Lord directs us. And our theme for this term is also the title of my message today, which is Faith for Tough Times. Uh, towards the middle of last term, we were actually in an elders meeting together. And as the elders were praying and we were talking about something, this idea of how to have faith in tough times came up. And we, as the Lord led us, we felt that it would be good to, for us as a community to focus on at this time. So I could talk to you about tough times today. I think I could tell you about, uh, what, ratings, downgrades, and pressure in the job market, and the pressure we're feeling in our families, and uh, we could do quite a nice exposition on the economy, but I think you all know that times are tough. Is that okay? And we're living in times that are tough, and I think probably that they're going to get a little bit tougher. So that's the good news for today. I think the pressure that each of us is experiencing is increasing. And as we've celebrated communion today as a community, as a family that has been set apart by God, I'd like to invite us to start a discussion about faith in tough times. And so my message today is going to focus largely on faith. Pastor Louis sends his greetings. We were talking earlier in the week. Uh, so let me do it like Louis do it. Hello, family. Um, <laughs> They have a community event at the South Church today, at our, our church in the South, and so our brothers and sisters there are enjoying and Louis spending the day with them. And as we were talking in the week and just comparing notes as we were preparing, and Louis gave me some really valuable input, I asked him how he saw faith, and he said, faith is a response to a revelation of God. Faith is a response to a revelation of God, and I thought that was a good way to say it. I would say it a little bit differently in my words. I would say that faith is believing that God will do what he said he would do. Faith is believing that God would do what he said he would do. And so I have three purposes this morning. I'd like to spend some time looking in the scriptures to try and just root our understanding of faith a little bit in the scriptures. And some of what I say will be familiar to most of you, I think. But it's important that as we start this series that we root our understanding of faith in the scriptures. I want to look at how coming out of that would be my second purpose, is how we can um, have faith. How do we find or come to a place of faith in tough times? And then lastly, I believe that there's a word from the Lord that would speak to our hearts at this time as individuals as well. So let's look at what God says about faith and how we can root our understanding of faith a little bit more deeply in the Scriptures. And we're going to spend quite a bit of time this morning, in fact, all the time, in the book of Habakkuk. Uh, it's in the Old Testament, so if you want to get out your Bibles, uh, I'm going to be using the New American Standard Translation, which is a little bit more literal. It just handles the text a little bit better. I genuinely prefer translations that read a bit easier, but this one does a particularly good job on some of the 
key passages in Habakkuk. And so if you're turning in your Bibles to Habakkuk, if you start at Matthew, which most people can find, go left, and go left about four books, uh, Malachi, Zechariah, going backwards, uh, Haggai, Zephaniah, and, and then you'll get Habakkuk. If you start on the other side, just keep paging. Um, <clears throat> Habakkuk was written probably just before 600 BC, and it's at a precarious time in Israel's history. In the last hundred years in the history, they'd experienced significant revivals. There was reform. But as we read Habakkuk, we see that it appears that the nation is turning away from God. They're breaking the covenant that they had with God. And Habakkuk, who stands in the office of a prophet, is a righteous man, and he comes before God with a cry in his heart. Now, we're going to do the whole book today. Is that okay? Three chapters only, so don't worry. But Habakkuk, in a sense, in the way it's put together, is quite simple. Habakkuk asks God a question. God answers him. Then he asks God another question, and God answers him. And then he writes a song. Is that okay? Question, answer, question, answer, song. Can you remember that? Okay. And so just a caution. Um, in the book of Habakkuk, obviously Habakkuk's addressing God and engaging with God on issues of national importance and what's going on in his nation and God speaking to him. And, and while probably some of the things I share, we could draw parallels into our own nation and, and many other nations of the world, actually, my purpose today is to focus a little bit more on faith for us, individual faith, okay? If God speaks to you about something in the nation and you've got sphere, uh, that's in your sphere of influence, then, you know, please be obedient to God in that. But my focus is a lot on personal faith. I probably will use some examples just to help us understand the magnitude of what God is actually saying to Habakkuk. And so why is Habakkuk an important book for, to discuss and look at when we look about faith? Because it's this book that the Apostle Paul refers to when he in Galatians, Romans, and whoever the author of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews was, wrote, when those authors looked at how do we talk about faith for Christians, for New Testament people, New Covenant people, where can we find about how faith works? And they all went to this book, that famous phrase of Paul's in Romans 1.17, where he says, the just shall live by faith. You've probably all heard that scripture, many would have heard it. That's actually from the book of Habakkuk, and Paul is quoting Habakkuk, and he, he brings this rich understanding of Habakkuk and the context of Habakkuk into the New Testament for us. So I thought I'd go back to the source just to look at that. Habakkuk shows us that faith is rooted in the person of God and in who he is, and not in all that much in what's going on around us. So we're going to do a little bit of a highlights package in the book of Habakkuk today. And so if you can open your Bibles as they already are, we're going to look in Habakkuk chapter 1. The key scriptures will come up on the screen, so you're welcome to follow there, particularly because of the translation. So Habakkuk's first question, verse 2 to 4 in chapter 1. I want to read that and then I'll comment a little bit. Habakkuk comes to God and he says, how long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. This is interesting in Revelation chapter 6 and also in the book of Job, people come before God and they ask the same kind of questions. How long, God, before you answer my prayers? How long, God, before you help? Do you not hear me? And maybe you've been at a place in your life where you've been saying to God, how long, God, will I call for help? How long before you hear me? 
Habakkuk goes on and he describes why he's crying out to God. He says, you make me see iniquity. In his nation at the time, there was iniquity. Things were wrong. He call, you cause me to look on wickedness. Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. This is what Habakkuk is experiencing in his community and in society of his day. He goes, therefore the law, the, the covenant of Moses, the law of Moses is ignored and justice is never upheld. The wicked surround the righteous and therefore justice comes out perverted. Habakkuk is crying out to God for what he sees wrong in his nation and in his community. He's describing the conditions of his society. The people of Israel internally have gone to injustice. They've become corrupt and wicked. They stifle justice. They're in, they're in strife. they in contention with one another. God's people have turned away from him. And Habakkuk, as a godly and righteous man, cries out to God for the ills of his society and for what he sees as wrong. He says, how long, God, before you help? God's answer comes quite quickly, and it's recorded for us in verse 5 and 6. And so we're going to keep reading. First question, how long, God, before you help? How, why do you not hear me? And God answers Habakkuk in verse 5. It says, God speaks to Habakkuk and he says, Look among the nations, because they're dealing now with national issues. Observe, be astonished and wonder, because I'm going to do something in your day that you would not believe if you were told. Modern translation, I'm going to blow your mind with what I'm going to do. Now, we like verse 5, particularly if you've been in the charismatic church, I'm going to do something in your day you would not believe. I just want to remind you, in this context, it's an introduction to what's coming next. Okay, it's an introduction to judgment. God's answer to Habakkuk comes in verse 6. It says, you aren't going to believe what I'm going to do. It's going to astonish you. It doesn't fit into your frame of reference. He says, behold, I'm raising up the New American Standard says the Chaldeans. They're referring to the Babylonians is a name we might be more familiar with. I'm raising up this nation. They are fierce and impetuous. They march throughout the earth and they seize dwelling places that they are that are not theirs. And so, in fact, what God says to Habakkuk is, "You're calling out to me. My answer is going to be judgment. And the way I'm going to bring judgment on the nation of Israel is I'm going to send the Babylonians. I'm bringing the Babylonians to exercise judgment. Now, if you read the next five verses." this piece in verse 6 and then all the way down to verse 11, uh, God describes the Babylonians. They're ruthless. They're vicious. They're cruel. They worship idols. I wonder, as I was pondering on these scriptures, if Habakkuk wasn't saying to God or hoping that he would say, God, look at what's going on in the nation. And I'm wondering if in Habakkuk's heart, this is just speculation, is that okay? But I'm wondering in Habakkuk's heart if he wasn't going, God, send a revival like you've done in living memory, like you've just done for us, you've rescued us within the memory of the people here. Send a revival. Help us turn back to you. God, send <laughs> revival. And that's pro I'm wondering if that wasn't the answer that Habakkuk was expecting from God. And then God says, I'm going to do something that you don't expect. And at this time for this nation, I'm not saying this is what God is saying to South Africa. Can I be clear? It's, I do not have that prophetic word. I don't, don't think that either. But to help us understand faith, we need to hear what Habakkuk heard and experience what Habakkuk was going through. 
And so instead of God saying, don't worry, Habakkuk, I'm going to raise up a good king and he's going to turn the whole nation back to God and the temple's going to be restored and we're going to do things right, God says, I'm sending the Babylonians. This is like saying to people in South Africa in the 70s and 80s, um, if I may be a little polarizing, I suppose, this is like saying to a white person in South Africa in the 70s and 80s, I'm sending the communists. The communists are coming. And by the way, that was very scary for us white people. Okay, just so you know. But perhaps if you were an ANC member in exile or something like that, this is like saying to you, I'm sending the Avia beer. Okay, this is like the worst thing you could be saying to the nation. Is that okay? Sorry, I don't want to. I'm just, I'm trying to get us to understand how bad this is when God says, I'm sending the Babylonians. The Babylonians are kind of the rising power on earth, but they are ruthless. They're vicious. They're cruel. And, and Habakkuk, you'll see later, he understands very well what this means. So Habakkuk says, God, how long are you going to let injustice continue? God's answer is, I'm sending judgment. Judgment is coming. This is a difficult answer for Habakkuk. And so we move on then to Habakkuk's second question because he hears God's answer. He's heard how that God describes the Babylonians, but something's difficult. This answer is difficult for him. And so in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, we start reading about Habakkuk's second question. But notice his knowledge and his understanding of the nature of God. He says, God, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God? You're holy, yet you're saying we will not die. Even though the Babylonians are coming, there's, there's hope. You, O Lord, have appointed them. He doesn't even use the name them. Okay? You have appointed them to judge, O God, our rock. You have established them to correct. So Habakkuk understands the sovereignty of God. He understands the justness of God. Habakkuk goes on in verse 13, and he says, Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you, can look, sorry, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look on favor with those who deal treacherously? So God, why are you choosing them? Why do you choose the Babylonians? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? So God, how can you let them, <coughs> excuse me, those who are, I know we're bad, but how can you let them who are worse than we are come in, be the instrument of your judgment? How can you use them, God? This is difficult. How can they come? It's interesting that Habakkuk also then goes on. Maybe I must just back up here. So what Habakkuk fully understands is that what God has told him is that there's going to be a holocaust on his nation. There's a genocide coming. Thanks, Pastor Jack. Now I have to drink some, you see. Habakkuk fully understands that this judgment God has spoken on his nation is going to devastate the nation. Imagine this is you, where you're standing and God's told you, this is going to be hard. This is tough times. Tough times are coming. What would you do? How would you stand? And so we see what God, Habakkuk's asked God this question. He's humble, he's respectful, and he asks God because he understands some things about God. And so we see that Habakkuk waits for God's answer. Beginning of chapter 2 in Habakkuk. Verse 1, Habakkuk stands. He says, I will stand guard at my station. I will station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he, what he will speak to me. He's hopeful. He trusts that God 
will answer him. And how he may reply, he expects an answer from God. When he's, when, sorry, how I may reply when I am reproved. And so Habakkuk expects maybe that this question was a little bit pushy. You don't ask God this question. And so he's very cautious, but he goes, God, I have to ask, even if I'm corrected. And Habakkuk adopts this position of humility and reliance on God. He wants to hear what God is saying. He's not an arrogant man. He's not, God, how could you send the Babylonians? That's not the position of his heart. I don't believe we're ever in a position where we wave our fingers at God and what he says. God then starts speaking to Habakkuk in verse 2, and he sets the stage. God sets the stage for his answer. Habakkuk writes, and he says, Then the Lord answered me. God told him, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets. Write it on something solid so it can be reserved, because my answer is very important. That the one reads it may run, they may move forward. My answer to you, the vision is set for an appointed time. It hastens towards the goal. It will not fail. Though it tarries, though it takes a while, wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay. So part of what God is preparing Habakkuk in his answer to why them, God, why are you sending them? He's saying, my answer is very important. You need to preserve it so that other people can see it and other people can hear it. But what I say will surely come to pass. And so we come to the place now in the book where we look at Habakkuk's, God's second answer to Habakkuk, God's second answer. And we find that recorded in chapter 2, verse 4, and a little bit onwards. But the, the principle of the answer is in chapter 2, verse 4. This is the famous verse that gets quoted in the New Testament by Paul in Romans. This is where Habakkuk's understanding of faith becomes real. Habakkuk 2, verse 4 reads, it says, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Now, you may read that and go, one line answer, and how does that actually explain what God is doing and how God is answering the cry of Habakkuk's heart? And so what I'd like to do now is just break down this verse in a little bit more, in a more literal way. So if we had to look a little bit closer at the original language and, and how it's phrased, I don't know Hebrew well, so I'm relying on other scholars here, but um, I think they're right. Um, and so if you guys can put up that slide for me, a little bit more of a literal breakdown of Habakkuk. Part of what God is doing here is he's saying, the proud, his soul is not upright in him. But in contrast, the righteous, so the righteous are put in contrast to the proud. The righteous person or the righteous people, by his faith, he will live. And so part of God's answer to Habakkuk is, I will deal with the Babylonians. Yes, they will come and they will do what they purpose to do. And so first God deals with the proud. Because their heart is not upright within them, God will bring judgment. <clears throat> now we don't have time in the message today for me to unpack that fully, but effectively, the rest of the chapter 2, from verse 5 to verse 19, God talks and he creates a picture, an image of how he's going to judge the proud, the proud of the Babylonians. They're upright, they're haughty, they're more wicked than Israel. And God, their time of reckoning will also come, is effectively what God is saying. The principle there is what we call reciprocal judgment. As they have done, it will be done to them. We see this principle throughout the other minor prophets and also later on in the New Testament in the book of Revelation. When God judges nations, he judges as they have done, it will be done 
to them. There's a reciprocity in the way God judges. You get what you deserve. Effectively, what God says in the rest of the book of Habakkuk is that he will deal with that which opposes him. He will deal with that which is unrighteous. And so God will deal with the proud. We don't have to worry about that. But what about the righteous, those who stand in right relationship with God, those who stand in right relationship with God? What do they do? How do they survive the judgment? How do they survive troubled times and tough times that are coming? Basically, God is saying, that those who position themselves in humility, where they go, God, what are you saying? God, what is your answer? Just like Habakkuk did. Habakkuk is a model for this. God, when things are going wrong around us, God, what is your word? What are you saying to me? Habakkuk, what God is encouraging Habakkuk is that those who believe that God will do what he said, they will live. Those who believe that God will do what he said, they will live. What did God say? God said to Habakkuk he would deal with injustice. He said to Habakkuk he would punish those who abuse the nation. But in the time in between, between when the judgment comes and God sorts out the things that are wrong, in that time how God's people live is by faith. That they believe that he has said he will sort things out, he will set things right. And the righteous, those who have faith, will make it through. By his faith, he shall live. If you believe in faith, if you have a trust in God, you will make it through the tough times. You might not be delivered because we know from the history of Israel and the nation that Habakkuk and many of his contemporaries got carried into exile. But many did live. Those who trusted God and believed God made it through. They did live. What does Habakkuk show us about faith? He shows us very clearly that faith is always responding to what God has said, a revelation of God. Biblical faith always responds to what God initiates. Biblical faith is not presumption, where we say, God, I want you to do this. Times are tough, business is down, there's pressure at work, families under pressure. Biblical faith says, God, what is your word? in this situation? What is your, if you want to use the terms you heard last Sunday, what is your rhema for me in this situation? And then the righteous person, the believer stands and says, God, I believe, I'm positioning myself in my heart, I'm going to stand, and I believe that you will do what you said you would do. Faith is believing that God would do what he said he would do. It is by faith that we make it through the tough times. Habakkuk chapter 2 ends after God has spoken about all the judgment he's going to do on Babylon, and it ends in chapter 2 verse 20 with this verse. After this picture of judgment, after God saying that you live by faith, chapter 2.20 says, But the Lord is in his temple. God is always on the throne. The Lord is in the temple. Let the earth be silent before him. Because the person of faith marvels that God is always in control. So we've looked at Habakkuk's first question, God's first answer. Habakkuk's question, his follow-up question to God, and how God answers him, that the way you make it through tough times is by believing that God will do what he said he would do. When Paul takes this idea into the New Testament, it, is always, it comes into the realm of salvation. How are we saved? 
by faith. We are saved by believing that as we celebrated in communion this morning, by believing that the death of Jesus Christ will save us from our sins and that God will do what he said he would do. He will forgive us from our sins and he will give us life eternal. Believing that God will do what he said he would do. He will forgive our sins and he will give us eternal life. Our position in a faith as New Testament people is, I stand God, I respond to what you've said and I know that you will forgive my sins and grant me life eternal. And so as we continue on in the book of Habakkuk, we come now to chapter 3. And this is basically the whole chapter is a song. So chapter 3 is Habakkuk's song of submission. He's had this encounter with God. He's heard something completely unexpected that he didn't expect. But he gets words of comfort. God doesn't correct him. God doesn't take him out for asking God what's going on, for asking the question. God answers him gently and says, don't worry, I've got this. I will do this, and you need to believe that I will do what I've said. And in response to this, Habakkuk records for us a song. Now, this is quite unique in the Bible where in the prophetic literature there's actually a song that's recorded. And so you might ask, why a song after what Habakkuk's heard, after he understands that his nation's going to come under judgment and things are going to be tough, why a song? I believe it's because songs can be carried in the heart. I don't know if you found that, that sometimes when things get tough in your life, the Spirit of God stirs something and you find yourself humming. I'm not going to hum because I'm going to get told I wasn't on key. But you find yourself humming. And you find words of songs that you've sang in church years ago, perhaps even current songs, coming to your heart. Faithful God, you hold my life secure. We need, excuse me, in tough times to have songs that can carry us in our hearts. Now this song, by the way, is an interesting kind of song. In verse 1, it uses a Hebrew word for that song, shigi something. Okay, if you've got Shigi and Oth, okay, we'll just call it the Shigi song. Worship guys will like it. This is not as a deer pants for the water kind of song. This is not a lament, oh Lord, this is, you're, this is not gentle. That word, it's used for some of the Psalms as well, so that's how they figure out what it meant. This word, this type of song is wild. Okay, that was me doing wild. Wild. <clears throat> this song is Chris. That's what you did? Okay. It's about as far as I go. Okay. This is a happy song. This is the point I'm really trying to make. They dared me to, that I wouldn't do it, but I did. Okay. This is a happy song. This is a wild song. In fact, this is like passionate and forceful. It's so interesting for me that Habakkuk so gets caught up and that he knows that this is about God, that despite what he's heard, he writes a happy song. An exuberant song. He writes a song that people, because that you see, what God's going to do is going to take about, if we look at the history of Israel, another 20 to 40 years. And he writes a song so that people can remember what God is going to do. And so we don't have time to read the whole song, but I want to just start by looking at verse 2 because it sets quite a nice context and it brings some elements of faith in. Habakkuk writes and he says, Lord, I've heard the report about you. And I fear, I remember, God, what you have done. It's very important in tough times that we remember what God has done. If you're maybe a new believer and you don't have a history of remembering what God has done, listen to the testimonies 
of those around you who have faith journeys. Come to the scriptures and read the scriptures to learn what God has done. Remember, as we did in communion this morning, remember what God has done. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of our years, in our time, Lord. Some of the easier reading translations go, in our day, Lord, do what you did in the past. In the midst of the years, make it known what you are doing. Help us understand what you are doing. And then an appeal and a plea to God. In your wrath, remember mercy. Verse 3 to 16 go on, and it's all about how God is coming in his glory. And what it looks like is God, uh, Habakkuk borrows on song, the song of Moses that's earlier in Exodus, and the song of Deborah in Judges, and song, some of the songs that David wrote. He takes themes from these songs, and he describes how God came marching up out of the south, and he delivered the nation, and he creates this picture that in the tough times, remember God is coming. God is coming. As Habakkuk continues the song of submission, I want us to look now particularly at the last three verses as we come to the point where God is speaking to our hearts and how to have faith in tough times. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18 read as follows. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines and though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, Habakkuk looks and he goes, things might get tough. Luxuries like olives and grapes and figs might disappear. Basic necessities like uh, grain, the, the uh, fruit of the fields, flocks, meat, cattle, milk, those things might not be evident. Verse 18, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. And this is biblical faith, where our faith and our attention moves onto what God does. Habakkuk deals with reality. His faith can embrace reality that things might get tough. There might be no visible evidence in your life or my life of the promises that God has made to us, yet we hold on to God. Maybe God's given you a word, and there's just no evidence. It just looks barren. And it looks impossible. Yet, hold on to God. Because he will do what he said he would do. So how can we have faith in tough times? I want to just give four points that might be helpful. How, do you, how can you come to a place of faith in tough times? When things get difficult. Firstly, cry out to God with a humble heart. Habakkuk models that for us. Cry out to God with a humble heart. We position ourselves under him because God has an answer. Secondly, wait humbly for his answer. Don't go, God, what's your answer, and then run ahead with your own good idea. Wait for God to speak. We don't want to move in presumption. We want to move in faith. Wait for what God says, not what you want and I know sometimes in life we face the reality of deadlines where, you know, we need God maybe to speak to us on something specific. Should we keep our business open or should we close it? And we wait for God to speak and the answer, some people say God's never late but he's often not early or something like that. <laughs> okay. We wait for God to speak. 
But sometimes also the deadline comes and we haven't had the word from God. That's the time when you act on the principles of Scripture. You're going into a meeting and you know in the meeting maybe they're going to be talking about taking a bribe to get the job that your company needs to stay afloat. And you're saying, God, what must I do? What must I do? And you don't get a specific answer. It's in those times you act according to the principles of the word of God. Thou shalt not steal. You should not take bribes. And so we also act in obedience to the logos, the written word of God, when we don't have other things that are clear. Wait humbly for his answer. I would suggest you in a third step where you confirm what God has really said. And this is where it's so important that we understand that we live in community with each other. Now, I'm not proposing that you call your pastor or your life group leader or your spiritual friends, you know, I believe the Lord said I must put my daughter to bed at seven. Do you think that's God? No, that's common sense. Okay. I'm not proposing that. But on the major decisions, the big things, where it has maybe significant consequence, I would so invite you to bring it into community. I had this thought. We often say this, John 10, I think it's John 10, oops. My sheep hear my voice. Interesting thing about sheep, they live in flocks. Sheep live in community. And so when we contest what God says, it helps us. Okay? Because it's important in some things to know that it really is God. And when you've done that and you know what God has said, fourthly, stand in joyous faith. Believe that God will do what he said he would do. This is, I believe, the specific words for our hearts this morning in Habakkuk 3, verse 19. I believe God spoke this to us, and and Pastor Lou and I were also just in agreement with this. Verse 19 says in Habakkuk, The Lord is my strength, well-known scripture. He has made my feet like hind's feet, and he makes me walk in high places. He's made my feet like the feet of a deer, and he helps me walk on the heights. God has made us to thrive on the heights. Now, these aren't deer specifically. They're mountain goats. But... And I make the point that sometimes when times are tough, it drives us up the mountain. But God, if you look at, you can't see it particularly clearly, but like this one on the right, the sheep of the deer are made to walk on the rocks. They're made to live on the high places. God has made you and I in tough times to ascend the mountains, to go to the high places, to pursue God because he has uniquely equipped us to live on the high places. So faith in tough times, God has made you to make it. God has made you to make it. He's made us to live on the tough times. He's given us the faith that we need to be there. And so in tough times, as we draw to a close, it's very important to remember that God is with us. Often in tough times, our question is like Habakkuk, God, where are you? I'm sure many of us in this room have asked that question, God, where are you? In Revelation 1, there's a picture. We see it here in Habakkuk as well. John writes to the churches that are in persecution and in suffering. And then he sees this vision where Jesus is standing in the midst of the lampstands. So in tough times, faithful tough times, God is in our midst. He's here with us. God has made us to thrive on the heights, and God will do what He has said He would do in and through our lives.
I know, <clears throat> so sorry. I know that in this room, there are heroes of faith. Not particularly because I've had a word of knowledge, but because I know some of your journeys and some people have shared their lives with me. And there's many people here who are also heroes of faith. And I don't know your story and I don't know you personally. I felt the Lord asked me to do something specifically this morning. Is there anybody here, there's no shame in this, this is a hero of faith moment, that you've been trusting God for something for longer than five years and it hasn't come. There's been no blossoms on the fig tree, there's been no fruit on the vine, but you really believe God has spoken to you and you've been standing in faith. I'm asking, I'm saying for more than five years, if there's anyone at all like that, would you, would you stand this morning? Or can I invite you to stand? These are the heroes of faith. These are the people who've stood <laughs> and God has given them a word in their hearts and they're standing. I believe God said this to me for you this morning. I just want to make sure I say it right. I've not forgotten you. God says he's not forgotten you. You've stood in faith. He has not forgotten. Keep your focus on him. Keep your attention on him. You've done nothing wrong. And as you're standing in faith, just remember to keep your heart tender before God. But what I'd also like our heroes of faith to do for us this morning, and it's if you're comfortable, it's an invitation for you, because you stood in faith. You're winning, not losing. Maybe you're standing for business. Maybe you're standing for the salvation of a family member. Maybe you're standing for something God has said for you. But I wonder if there's others in the room where you're really trusting God for something, but maybe you just haven't stood in faith this long, or you really want God to come through for you in a specific situation. Can I invite us as a community won't you go to one of those who are standing? And if I can invite those who are standing, won't you put your hands on them and pray for them that they have faith that can stand in tough times because you know how to do this. Is that okay? So you can pray and you can say, what are you trusting God for? You don't have to give a prophetic word. You don't have to give an answer. You just say, God, I pray that they have the faith to endure, the faith to stand in tough times. Can we do that? So the worship team's going to sing a song for us so that we have a song in our hearts as we end. But won't you go to someone who's standing? If you're standing and you're not comfortable to pray, you're welcome to have a seat. It's really no pressure at all. It's an invitation. And if you're trusting God for something that hasn't come through, maybe it's a healing, maybe it's something, go to someone else who is standing, ask them to put their hands on you and to pray that you have faith that can stand. Can we do that? Okay, so we're going to worship and move as you feel free. I'm not going to... Uh, do more than that and we will end the service in a minute or two. Thank you. So this is what faith in community looks like. This is when we pray for one another and we stand strong. I'd like to close the service in a word of prayer. If you're being prayed for or praying for someone, please don't stop. Father, thank you that you will do what you've said you would do in our lives and that we can trust that, we can respond to that, and we can stand on that. And thank you that that which you have said will come to pass in our lives. Lord, I bless each one under the sound of my voice this morning in Jesus' name. We bless them as they go, Lord, and ask that you give them the measure of faith they need 
for the week ahead. Amen and amen.